the robot part of your brain just kind of does what it's told, mm-hmm. right? And so limbic lizard comes up and says, no, you shouldn't do this. This is scary or different or all like that. And robot says, no, I've got a job to do. Mm-hmm. It's got a job to do. And the job that I have to do is to go in and do, you know, five sets or legs day or like whatever it is. It has mm-hmm. to, like, there's a job and I'm going to go do that job. Welcome to the Rise Up Fitness Podcast, broadcast from sunny Santa Barbara, California. We're here to go back to the facts, educate you in health and fitness, and help you rise up to your full potential. Welcome to the Rise Up Fitness Podcast. I am Kyle Vison, one of the owners of Rise Up Fitness. And I'm Maddie Clark, one of the other owners of Rise Up Fitness. And we are, as usual, missing Miss Emily Foley, who is our third owner. We keep trying to drag her in here, but... So far, no dice. It's the new maybe. year. We'll get her here eventually. So. We should have an Emily's Corner where we talk about all the things that Emily's not doing on the podcast. Has she ever listened of. to one of our podcasts? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. We'll see. Well, we're really excited today what we have going, but a uh, real quick message for you guys before we get started here. Uh, we just want to say that if you are enjoying the podcast, we've had a lot of positive you know, kind of feedback from our members. Um, we want you to just share it with someone. That's the best thing that you can do to help us out is just kind of spread the word. Um, and the farther reach we get, the more listeners we get, the more we get out there, the more resources and things that we can bring to you. So, and the better we feel about ourselves. Exactly. And it's, you know, egotistical as well. So it's all great. Um, but what I'm really excited today is we have a, a really fascinating guest, um, Steve Smith, who's a sports psychologist and he has a very diverse and really cool background in sports psychology, actually it's psychology in general. And we'll get into that a little bit here but um you know before we do kind of dive in with him i just want to give you a little bit of a background um steve and he can correct me here if i miss anything but he's a clinical psychologist um so that's really cool so he has a lot of experience um he's done a lot of or has a lot of degrees let's say and has done a lot of you know research in that area but also he's a former category two cyclist and for those of you who don't know that's a very yeah what very does that mean high level amateur was a high level amateur cyclist um then kind of turned endurance runner so it kind of hits my heart because that's kind of where my background is is not in cycling but endurance sports so that's pretty cool. Um, he's a tenured at UCSB, um, so he you know, shifted his focus um, at one point to really diving into the needs of athletes that are involved in sports and still does that to somewhat a degree. He's a professor there. Um, and then he also has his own private practice, and he does consulting, and we'll let him talk a little bit about that. But he's worked with, obviously, the Division One sports, and then he has his own private practice for psychology and sports psychology, which is pretty cool. So, um, welcome, Steve, to uh, the Rise Up Fitness Podcast. We're happy to have you there. Great. Thanks. Happy to be here. What do you prefer? Do you prefer Steve, Dr. Smith, Professor Smith, (laughs) any of those options? Uh, Whatever makes you feel good. Steve Steve is fine for right now. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. So, did I miss anything? I mean, why don't you just kind of dive in a little bit and give us the, uh, I guess, couple minute kind of background of where you came from and where you are now? Um. Right. So I'm a clinical psychologist. I got my PhD in clinical psychology from uh, University of Arkansas, where my background then was um, primarily working with kids, which I still do a lot of, and um, doing psychological assessment work. So actually nothing to do with sports at all. Um, I went on and did my internship and my postdoc at Mass General Hospital in Boston, where I was a neuropsychologist for a number of years. And then I decided that Snow really sucks, and uh, <laughs> cold Boston winters are really terrible for we cycling. Agree. That's why we're in Santa Barbara. Yeah, so 2004, I came out to Santa Barbara. Um, 
and still at that time was doing a lot of psychological assessment as being my primary area of uh, research interest and uh, clinical work too. And um, it was my secret identity, my my Superman lifestyle where I was a cyclist and um, it was really that journey that led me into trying to understand the role of psychology in the lives of athletes. And that's sort of started with this, this whole journey started for me. Right. And that's pretty cool too, because I, I love that aspect of it. Cause when I first heard you speak, I've heard you, you know, I've had n- numerous conversations over the years. And when I first heard you speak with the triathlon club, when I was president there, it was one of those things where it was kind of eye opener for me. It's like, wow, I never thought about things that way. And some of the things that you had addressed, and maybe we'll get into those today, I, I'd really kind of like captured it as like, oh, I, I do that or I can see that or I can see that's a benefit. And some of the things I was just like kind of blown away by, but like I'd never thought of it that way. So it was kind of cool. So having the two lessons, that's pretty cool to get in there. Love so. the secret identity. Yeah. Um, so I know obviously that's how you kind of got into it, but like give us a background then with your sports. So, I mean, we said you're a cyclist. I mean, that can mean a number of things, but where has your just, you know, away from the psychology aspect of it and we'll get back into it that but where with your fitness what are you interested in what have you been a lifelong athlete did you play sports i know we know you're a cyclist give us a little bit more about info about that yeah it's it's uh interesting i was not at all uh, an athletic kid like as a little kid i was sort of like a little chunky roly-poly kid oh me too oh great Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and um you know more so interested in like reading books in the woods and doing just sort of doing my own thing um as far as organized sports, I made it through, I think, one season of T-ball where I struck out a few times. Nice. Um, <laughs> and then one season of soccer, both of which I really just hated. I hated organized sports and um, was not athletic at all, but somehow dis- discovered cycling uh, when I was 14 years old and really was just transportation at first. Like It, it kind of got me around town mm-hmm. so I could go see all my friends and that sort of thing. And then... Um, somehow learned about the sport of cycling and then got really intrigued with that and, and uh, really tried to get better at it. But even then, um, I don't say I was really competitive as a cyclist until, gosh, until I was almost out of graduate school. I think it just took that long for me to understand what it really meant to train, what it really meant to eat right, what it really mm-hmm. meant to work hard at something. Um so I, I sort of dabbled in cycling for a number of years before I really got serious in the sport um, in, uh, oh, geez, yeah, my, maybe in my late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So obviously you were already kind of understood. This just, it speaks to me a lot because I was a lot more academic throughout my life before I was ever athletic in any way. And I, I wonder if you... Was there a time where you feel like you made the connection between I know how to work hard academically, but not really knowing how to work hard athletically? Or was it just the – because for me, I kind of was like, I'm not good at it, so why would I try? But mm-hmm. I'm good at academics, so that's why I put my effort in. Or was it that kind of experience too, sort of? Yeah, no. It's, uh, school was always my fastball, and mm-hmm. it was always the thing that just came really easy to me. Right, And, and when you have a fastball, you keep throwing fastballs because that's what you do. Um because I wasn't an athletic kid, I didn't really think of myself as an athlete for a really long time, and I never thought of myself as having any kind of athletic gifts. Um, but what I really learned about myself eventually when I did get serious about cycling is I really know how to suffer. Like, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I've heard that's the key. I know. 
Yeah, uh, I know how to pull all nighters. I know how to study hard. I know how to. Study I can just. Yeah. I can do terrible things to myself. <laughs> um, I love it. And once I figured that out, and I learned how to use that well, and then that's sort of what led me to the successes I had in, in cycling. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. So, you know, you kind of found this kind of new love for cycling in which, you know, for me, I'm not going to say I grew up kind of as you guys did with the academic background. I I did go to UCSB. I have a degree. I worked hard, but um, I was always involved in sports. But, you know, for me, it was kind of uh, a little different for than you guys is where I but in the same aspect, I kind of found endurance sports like later in life. So I think it's kind of something, too, that you kind of really have to have an appreciation for to want to go out and work hard for long periods of time. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. It's a slow burn too. It's not like a winning a game, you know, it's (laughs) like you go, you're playing a soccer game, you win that time. It's like, you know, it's not, it's not an instant reward. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so you kind of fall in love with cycling and then you're, you know, at the same time, you know, in psychology, you're, you know, studying this and you're getting that. And then, you know, you at some point decide to blend the two. And so like, tell us a little bit about that and the process that got you into that and kind of, Maybe some of the discoveries you had, you know, and what got you into sports psychology. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I was a Cat 3 cyclist, and um, which is further than I'd ever thought that I'd get in the sport. And the, the way you move up in the sport is you have to you earn a certain number of points through placing in races. And so I was trying to move up from Category 3 to Category 2, and so having sort of chasing the points in terms of having to do well in a certain number of races. And I was working with a coach who was um, – helping me train and sort of laying out my training and, and analyzing my race results. And he, I remember one time he just said, your legs didn't lose you that one, right? Mm. He said, you got all the thing in your body to help to, to win these races, and you're just not doing it. It's not your legs. And I was like, well, I'm a psychologist. It's <laughs> <laughs> a psychology thing. I like, should learn I, about that. I, and I, can, so, I can figure this out. <laughs> I, I, okay, this is a problem. I can solve this. Right. Um, and I didn't want, like, like many like many people and maybe dudes in particular, I didn't want to think of it as a psychology thing. I wanted to think of it as a training thing or a nutrition thing or like maybe I needed another $10,000 bike or whatever it was. A mechanical thing. It's a mechanical of. thing. Yeah. I didn't oil the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it took me a while to sort of break that to myself. There was just something there that I was missing. And then um, so what I did is I just started to read. I just started to read the sports psychology literature. And fortunately there's a lot of it and unfortunately a lot of it is crap (laughs) and so a lot of the sports psychology literature and the things that you hear of as being sort of the um, classic sports psychology interventions are are not supported by research and so Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of junk out there um but i did sort of and this is where my background in neuropsychology came in really handy for me and trying to understand like well Look, this is how my brain works. This is how my brain responds to stimuli. This is how it processes data and information. And once I started to think about things in that way, I started to look for interventions that made some sense from that perspective. And so um, I started to, uh, uh, to to study different things that did seem to work and tried them on myself, trained the things. The perfect test subject. Of, yeah. Terse, yeah and found out that, that things really did make a big difference. And it helped me, and eventually I did move on to be a cat too. Um, and that's when I started also started working with the Department of Athletics at UCSB. And, yeah. and that sort of took things off from there. Cool. So you were your own guinea pig a little bit. For sure. Mm-hmm. I think I think all coaches at some point like to do that. I mean, I think the best ones do. They played or they you know, did that at some point. So that's kind of... Yeah, I had no interest in working with other athletes. 
Yeah, in the that's, beginning. That's fair. So when did that <laughs> when did that change? When did you want to start working with other people? Um, I I think when I realized what potential there was, interest in terms of understanding other athletes, mm-hmm. and also as a therapist, as someone who who does primarily predominantly psychotherapy, to understand the role of sports in people's lives and how it's not just you know, this game or this thing or this other thing that like, there's some really deep and profound meaning mm-hmm. of sports and wellness and health in people's lives that I think is not well addressed in mainstream psychology. Right. Yeah. I know. I love that aspect too. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I kind of want to dive into it a little bit too. So I know you deal with, I mean, we're talking about elite athletes and let's, you know, we have definitely some very, very talented athletes at our gym, but it's not the majority. I mean, the majority sure. of athletes are kind of the people that you know, you guys say, hey, I came from an academic background. I've never thought of myself as an athlete. And they break through and they get something new. So I know you've worked with kids. You've worked with, you know, adults. And then you've worked with D1 athletes who are the top of the, you know, well, not the top of the top, but very, very high. Uh, you know, run level be. down from yeah. professional. To be fair, they're the you're, top. If you're D1, yeah. you are probably you're, want to be. Yeah, yeah, you're very, very good. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say, you know, from your experience, what are the biggest kind of barriers that hold people back? And let's, we can relate it to an, more an elite athlete or even break it down to someone who's just like, you know what? I need to get out. I need to change my lifestyle. I need to exercise. I need to be healthy. Like what are the barriers that you see that hold people back the most? Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of blasphemy to say this, but often the the D1 and the elite athletes are, as a psychologist, not the most fun. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're, they're not, they're not the people that really inspire me in the same way as the people who are just trying to have a healthy lifestyle and mm-hmm. may not think of themselves as athletes. We, in any we way. find that too a lot with the people. I mean, we're most inspired by the person who is like, I haven't worked out in 10 years and all I want to do is get moving and just to see them. I mean, we're inspired the same way. So I totally understand. Yeah, what you're saying. Th- th- those are just the people who really uh, uh, make me excited to do the work. That's yeah. just so much fun. You know, in terms of the barriers, um, you know, the mindset issue is a really powerful one in terms of people not. You know, we all write stories about ourselves. We all have this narrative in in our heads about who it is that we are and what it is that we can do and what it is that we can't do. You know, I I talk to people about um, that we all have this storyteller, and the storyteller lives in our minds, and it tells us this is the story about who it is that you are. Mm -hmm. And says this is the the kind of person you are. You can't do that because you're not that kind of person. Mm -hmm. You can't say that because that's not something that you do. And we have these stories that live in our heads. We all do. Right. And those stories come from childhood. They come from our parents. They come from long, long um, years of experience. And so often what I do is just help people recognize, oh, that's the story in my head. That's the story. The story is telling me that I'm not a person who exercises. I'm not a person who uh, is going to dedicate myself to this. And then they start to listen to that story as though it's a real thing rather than saying, yeah, look, there's that story. That story mm-hmm. in my head is saying that I'm not going to do this. But you know what? Here I go. Mm-hmm. So it, it empowers them to almost decide like, oh, it, it's not me. It's it's the story in my head. And then when they understand that it's a story in their head, then they have the power to change the story. You have the choice. You have the mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. That's interesting. And you'd say that's kind of the same thing because we deal you know, a lot. And I like to think of the two as kind of mutually exclusive, although they're not with, you know, fitness and, and exercise, which is healthy. And then also diet and nutrition, which is a, I, I like to separate the two a lot more than combine them, which most people like to combine them. Yeah. But you'd see, do you see the same thing with, you know, people you've worked with or. 
Trying um, to change their nutrition, you mean? Like, yeah, I mean, trying to change your diet or nutrition. And I mean, I'm not talking about someone where you're you're telling them, here's what you need to do. Someone who really says like, look, I, I realize that I don't have the greatest diet and I want to clean that up and I want to improve, you know, to feel better, to have more energy, all those things. Is it kind of the same story? I, I think nutrition is tricky because it's real. It's, it's different in some ways, I, I mm-hmm. think, because um, first of all, what is truth? Right. I mean, what is the truth about nutrition right. out there? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can find you go to the bookstore. Oh, and it's you, enormous. I mean, yeah, that just the breadth of research that I've done in the last couple of years to try and understand it. There's it, it's almost impossible to try to combine those things into something that you would consider to be the truth of the best nutrition for you. Yeah, it's, it's just it's there's such a mess out there. And so. Um, even when people are really well intentioned, mm-hmm. it's just confusing at the mm-hmm. end of the day, and things are so built on fads, and then um, you know who, who's paying for the research and all these exactly. other kinds of questions about mm-hmm. all that. And so, and so, even if people are well intentioned, there's just a lot of, of of things to get confused about. But you know, the we have a relationship. Everybody's got a relationship with food. Right? And you have to. It's one of those things that I tell people. It's not like you can – it's like, oh, I quit smoking. You can't quit food, right? You can't quit food. <laughs> you can't quit food. Right. Um, and so we have a relationship with food, and food serves us in different ways, right? It's, there's nutrition, but it's also comfort. It's also tradition. It's also culture. And so there's so many different things that tie into how people think about food. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, the thing I always suggest, and you guys probably do this too, is like make small changes. Right. right. Make yeah. small changes. Commit to those changes for I, – I, I think that there's something magic about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Commit to those changes for three weeks and then, then change something else. You know, right? So like I'm not going to overhaul my entire lifestyle. I'm right. going to make this one change. Yeah. Right? So it's about having um, measurable and obtainable goals. So that you, so that people don't feel overwhelmed by things. Right. So actually, we talked about that a little bit last week because we talked about, um, or not last week, last podcast, we talked about New Year's resolutions and you know oh, how yeah. people. One of the things we said and the, we looked up is people just overload. They're like, I'm going to change everything about myself so somehow I become this person that I think I'm supposed yeah. to be or would make me better. And on January 3rd, they're like, well, I didn't get any of them. Yeah, or <laughs> I right. didn't. Or yeah, you know, I I, yeah, I, I, right. I messed up one thing, which of course you're going to if yep. you set yourself up that way. Yeah. Yeah, and we yeah. definitely we talk about that in our um, we call it Simple Thirty as our nutrition program, and it's all about the reason it's it's simple is because it's it's making those little changes that help you change your habits, That's and right. it's not just something you do for thirty days and go backwards and say, okay, am I fixed? Did I do it? You know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I, I love those aspects of it. Which I understand is like make the small changes, and then you're kind of saying is like understand what your story is and your narrative and your yeah. head, and kind of understand that that's there. Um, so, I mean, I, I love, and I, and I'm a, you know, I have a mechanical engineering degree, so I'm always like the data person. So, you know, what I'd like to, you know, hear, and I think our listeners would be interested in is like, okay, well, I kind of realize that maybe that's me and I'm understanding that. Okay. So what are maybe some real world applications or what can I actually physically do? Like, let's say I'm making a new year's resolution to make it, I'm going to work. Maybe they're, let's just throw it out there. My new year's resolution is to work out four days a week for one hour and I'm really inconsistent. And so, Steve, it's like, and I understand the narrative in my head and my excuses and everything else is just what I'm telling myself, not the, re- you know, exactly what I want to be. So what's some real world, world advice that you would say, well, here's how we can make that stick. Yeah. Structure is always your friend. Okay. Structure is your friend, right? So right. you, you um, if you're going to commit to four days a week, put it on the calendar, 
right? So own it on the calendar, make the space and dedicate yourself. And and I would say do it one week at a time, Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Do it one week at a time, but also recognize that you're in for at least three weeks, Okay. right? And, and so you're in for at least three weeks, but you're going to take it one week at a time. And, um, and gosh, if you don't make it all four days, make it three. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that doesn't sink the ship. Right. right. And so, and, and the other thing I would say is, um, you're not going to want to. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you Be kind okay of get with in, that. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't want to do, don't need to want to do something. Right. Yeah. Right. So, because the, the thing I say is that your feelings are often in service of your storyteller. And so your storyteller is going to do everything it can to keep you at home, to keep you safe and stay in the lifestyle that you have have provided for yourself up to this point. Taking risks and doing things differently is scary. It's scary for all of us. Your your brain does not like to be scared. It doesn't mm-hmm. like to worry about failure. It doesn't like to worry about uh, discomfort. It doesn't like to worry about, well, the people at the gym look at you funny when you walk in and, and you, you don't look like them or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Right. And so you're going to have a lot of feelings about that. Well, your feelings aren't helpful now. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? Yeah. That's what I say is like your feelings are just giving you bad data about this one. Mm-hmm. So you recognize like, gosh, having a lot of feelings about this, don't really want to go. But now I'm going to go, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so, I mean, it's like the, as a runner, one of the things I always have to remind myself is first mile feels terrible, <laughs> right? Every time, no well, matter so how f- far. I'm having the opposite, so maybe someday when I run long enough, the uh, first maybe mile I don't know. Maybe worse. it's an age thing, but it's just like every time, I'm like, oh, geez, no matter how fit I get, that first mile just feels like someone's hitting me with a stick. And right. so, it's like, okay, my feelings about this don't—they don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I recognize re- this. This is happening. This is happening. That's a thing. That's a thing. Having but some feelings about this. Gonna move on. But I gotta keep going. Mm-hmm. I, I really love that too because it's, um, you know, at our gym, we do an introductory month to get you people. You really there. love everything today. I do. I love everything. I love everything all the time. He's a positive dude. Um, but yeah, no, so we do an introductory month, okay? So, yeah. you know, we do it in months instead of three weeks because it makes more sense. Of on course. The Although I am curious but... to ask you later about the th- magic three week okay, we'll get, we'll get Yeah, that's good. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious too. But. The month. So, and we just see, I can tell you just straight from the data, you know, if someone commits and they come, I always tell people, we, ha- you have to be here three times a week, put four in your calendar and show up three. Yeah. And so, and if that person comes for that month, three times a week, or, you know, let's say they, you know, 12 times in that month, the percentage of them staying on and continuing on and continuing improvements is like 95%. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's yeah. huge and it doesn't matter what the person looked like when they came in doesn't matter how to shape they are or how fit they were or what they've done in the past. Or it's literally, if they show up, they're very, very, very likely to continue the progress they've seen. And if they're inconsistent or whatever else, no matter if they're a D one athlete and they came out, they're likely to not continue on. So yeah. it's, yeah, that's, I love that advice. So where does that three week sort of magic time period come for you? I made it up. Um, Just- just experience? Or? Yeah, it's a little bit of experience. Two, two, two weeks doesn't seem long enough, and a month sounds scary. Sounds overwhelming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A month I, sounds long. I, I understand so that. So it's just right in the middle. Yeah, it's just right in the middle. And mm-hmm. it's just like three three feels easy. So what's – I'm curious because you mentioned this before. You know, obviously I've said that I've read a lot about nutrition. I've read a lot of the things. I've read everything from – I mean, and there's still so much more to read and so much more to try and consume yeah. and kind of assimilate. Um, and I've read everything from, you know, the books – 
that are promising this diet or that diet to some of the research articles that focus on specific things. Um, and I'm sort of learning how to filter out the crap. I'm getting there. Um, but I'm curious what you said. I have none of that experience in the psychology of it and sports psychology. So you said, you know, the vast majority of what you read is kind of crap. I'm curious what, what is that stuff that maybe people are trying and it's not going to work. Um, yeah. So uh, like the whole visualization thing, there's Mm -hmm. not a whole lot of research evidence for visualization, you know, like uh, visualize yourself performing this or doing that. Like, Oh, great. I mean, so like the research says you get bit, yeah, it can't hurt. You get better at visualizing, Mm -hmm. but But it doesn't make you perform. It doesn't perform better. The other thing I, I like to dissuade people from is, is, um, is a whole lot of positive self talk. Yeah. Okay. Like, don't and don't talk to yourself. Just go do things. Yeah. That's I love that because we we see that quite well, a bit in the fitness that. industry. Well, I do love that, but there's nothing. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with positive self talk. I think, and our clients say, like, I'm happy I'm here. It's just positive. I'm doing mm-hmm. good job. But I we you see a lot of that in the fitness industry yeah. with just tell yourself you're doing good. Tell yourself you're amazing. Tell yourself you're a star athlete, tell yourself. So the research shows that that's not going to help you in the long run. Not really. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, please continue. I mean, it certainly doesn't help you with your performance. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe there's some benefit in terms of you getting back in. Right. The consistency of it. Um, But what I would rather people do is just say, look, I've made a commitment to myself because this is good and right. This is good and right, and this is what's going to help me live a long, healthy life and to, to enjoy all the things that I enjoy and to feel good in my skin, right? Mm-hmm. right? And, but at the time, I also have to recognize that I'm going to have some, some feelings, and they're going to be uncomfortable feelings, and I'm going to have some thoughts about not wanting to be here, and just like, I just kind of recognize those. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's that. I don't need to have a conversation with it. Mm-hmm. I just need to do another set. Right. Because I said I was going to do another set. Right. Yep. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm all about that. And it's hard because I, some people is, is like you said, when you come in and you're, I mean, let's be honest, I'll, I'll be the first to say when, let's say you walk into a new gym setting. I, you know, have, have been to a lot of gyms. I've done a lot of physical activity in my life and I'm also kind of an extrovert, right? So I'm not going to walk in you? and be shy. No. Me? No. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to walk in and be shy, but there is some sense of nervousness or whatever even yep. with myself yep. when I'm at a new city and I walk into a new gym and I'm talking to the person at the front desk, you know, and there's that. So someone who is has never been in a gym, I can understand that totally yeah. overwhelming feeling of like I'm nervous, I don't belong here, I don't know what I'm doing and that type of thing. And so that's there. And I think that, you know, it's, it's that hard part because when you have those negative emotions, it's, you know, easy to be able to tell yourself like, I'm good. I'm great. I'm doing well. I'm doing, but the people that I've seen in my experience who just have the self positive self-talk are the ones that usually do the least amount of actions and see the least results. Yeah, that's right. My question is on the, on the flip side of that, if the positive self-talk doesn't necessarily help improve your pace, right? So you're, say you're running and, you know, so I'll use myself as an example because I, do this and it quite frankly doesn't always help um but i'm like it's not so much the self the positive like affirmations are coming because i think they're going to make me faster it's more because i don't want to fall into being angry at myself or telling myself i'm not doing well so if you flip into negative self-talk does that negatively affect what's going on with you because i would assume that it does but i don't know it doesn't have to right so there's not a problem with the feelings Mm -hmm. it's 
um, acting in service of those feelings that is a problem. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just about accepting all the thoughts and feelings that come and go as you have them mm-hmm. and not getting particularly hung up on any of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, gosh, I'm feeling great now. Okay, that's, that's great. That's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Now I'm feeling terrible. Okay, that's interesting too. Mm-hmm. But I got to stay on pace because this is what I'm doing. Or yeah, I've got to do another set because that's what I'm going to do. Right? Mm-hmm. I have five sets because I'm feeling terrible. It doesn't matter. I'm still going to do another set. Oh, I'm feeling great today. Okay, well, I'm still going to do another still gonna set. still going to do five. Okay. Yeah. That's the plan, right? And so, it's sort of liberating when you mm-hmm. say it like that. That's right. I mean, the, the, uh, the talk that I give to groups of athletes, I always talk about the difference between um, the robot in your brain and the limbic lizard in I your love brain. this. Yeah, you got to right. go off on this. This is my favorite. It is. It's um, that essentially that, you know, the limbic system part of your brain is what controls your emotions and some of your more like sort of scary thoughts that come and go. And, and limbic lizard doesn't understand sports or fitness. It doesn't want you to do things that are hard or scary or different, right? So whether it be walking into a gym that you've never been into before, which is scary, intimidating for anybody, or... Um, running a 5k or running a half marathon or whatever it is that your goal is like like limbic lizard doesn't understand why you would want to do anything like that it wants to keep you safe i think we've all yeah. got that question why do you want to run a half marathon right, why it's, do cra- you want- it's crazy it wants you to sleep and be cozy and fed and safe and that's comfortable. right and like you're not going to mm-hmm. get you're not going to have to worry about feeling embarrassed you're not going to have to worry about um not meeting a goal. You're not going to have to worry about being a failure. These are all the things that Limbic Lizard worries about and wants to protect you from, mm-hmm. right? And the best way for it to protect you from all these things is to have you stay at home, right? And yeah. so mm-hmm. that's your that's your and so the storyteller I was talking about before acts in service of the Limbic Lizard. It tells you all these things in order to keep you safe. Um, but then you have this sort of cold and calculated thinking part of your brain, a rational part of your brain that I refer to as a robot, right? And so, like, there's any sport in the world, you could design a robot to do it better than a human, mm-hmm. right? So feelings obviously don't make a good baseball player. You could design a baseball-playing robot, and it would do a better job, and it doesn't need to have feelings. And so the robot part of your brain just kind of does what it's told, mm-hmm. right? And so Limbic Lizard comes up and says, no, you shouldn't do this. This is scary or different or all like that. The robot says... No, I've got a job to do. Mm-hmm. I've got a job to do, and the job that I have to do is to go in and do, you know, five sets or legs day or like whatever it is. It has mm-hmm. to like there's a job, and I'm going to go do that job. And the feelings come. Limbic lizard is like throwing out all the things that it has to, to to get you to stay at home. Like, oh, you feel terrible. You don't look good. Your spandex is falling apart. Like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the robot says, no, I got a job. I'm going to do the job, and and they will. You know, Limbic Lizard fights a robot, but robot doesn't fight back. It just says, I've got a job to do. Right. That's what I'm going to do. So it's it's the more when you have a goal, let's say, you know, you have a goal that I'm going to work out this much or I'm going to follow this nutrition plan or I'm going to do this exercise routine or whatever it is. The idea is that you have to understand that this is what's going to be best for me in the long run, no matter what my feelings are. And so I kind of need to turn on the robot while I'm doing this. Yep. And then once I get the job done and I go home, if I do the job... I'm probably going to be a lot happier and I'm probably not going to be crying in the corner type idea. That's exactly right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, so I'm curious, um, applying this to people who maybe have not ever thought about it this way and are just coming to, maybe they're listening to this podcast and, and they're excited because they're like, oh, I can't wait to try to think about this and apply it to my life and address it to me in a way that's going to be helpful and, and positive. Um, do you think that 
applying this and, and being a person in a group fitness setting, especially as someone who's trying to be consistent and feel motivated, can both use these and be motivated in that environment? How do you think those things kind of interact? It's a great question. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially if everybody in the group is on board, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. And then you can just say, I feel like crap and want to go home. And everybody else will say, do one more, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. like, because yeah. it, it, part of recognizing, part of having choices, recognizing what's going on in your mind, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, instead of acting in service of your thoughts and feelings, it's just being really aware of it. And, and once you're really aware of it, then then you can make the choice. And so often groups can be really facilitative of that. Um, and plus you get the benefit of accountability, mm-hmm. right? Like, well, well, where were you yesterday, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and that's... Right. That's why a lot of really powerful change happens in the context of groups and uh, because there's that shared – the shared journey, mm-hmm. right, and the shared suffering and also the accountability piece. It's almost bit. like you can outsource your robot a little bit. No question. Yeah. <laughs> can kind cool. of help like yeah. – yeah, I mean like you let your – I mean I think about when I'm in class sometimes and Emily or Kyle is helping me to stay on, you know – you're going to do what, like, whatever, we have one more machine. We're going to do one more machine. Yeah. Well, and this is your pace, and that's what you're going to do. And it it helps to hear that, and I've never connected it with that sort of getting the job done mentality. But That's right. Yeah. yeah. Then your, like feelings, your feelings just aren't useful at that point. Right? Yep. Yeah. So I've got to ask now that, um, you know, we're talking about the kind of group atmosphere. So I'm just naturally a very competitive person. It's kind of like yeah. I feel like I've always been that way and whatever mm-hmm. else, and whether it was learned or innate or whatever it is, it, it was just kind of there. And so – I'm kind of wondering two things is one is I feel I see a lot where some people are naturally competitive and some people are not naturally competitive and kind of where's or that they classify themselves that way or anyway. they classify themselves they come that in way. and they say yeah. I'm not competitive right. or I am. And so I'm just wondering, is this something that can be learned, can be helpful if you add some sort of competition thing into fitness, exercise, health, nutrition, whatever it is for, you know, that aspect and how does, how do you see that? Yeah, you know, competitiveness is a real is a real tricky one because on some level, I, I would say that the um, when I when I say that, I, I should clarify because I I'm competitive with other people too, like when yeah, I go yeah. out and race, but I'm not even saying that. I mean, you that's can right. be competitive to yourself. That's, that's a for very sure. mm-hmm. that's in my brain that's very competitive too. Like I don't care what the guy next to me is doing. I care that I'm faster than I was a week ago or a month ago or yeah, absolutely. That type of thing. Yeah, I. Um, and those are two different things, I think, in my head. Okay. In that, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, competitiveness with other people, and I'm, I'm also uh, like you. I, I, when I'm in group fitness classes, I'm, I'm just, tr- I'm just trying to do better than anybody else there, <laughs> even if they're not competing with me, which is right. usually is what gives me the, the edge. Oh, there you go. <laughs> right. Just don't let them know. Just sneak up on them. Right. And so, you know, and I think some of that is born of insecurity, and so, and I think, I think that's okay. It's a good way of dealing with some insecurity is to be competitive. I'm like, great. Why not? I mean, I'd rather you express that through sports than through doing shady things in banking or something like that. Right. For instance, right? So, yeah. Great. It's a great, it's a great way to channel that. Um, but then competitive with yourself or trying to do better than yourself feels uh, feels like it's a little bit of a different thing, more like a self-improvement kind of deal. And, and, mm-hmm. and so that has um, – has some a greater power to it, I think, in some ways than competing with other people. Um, I'm sorry, I lost track of the question. Well, I guess I guess what I'm kind of getting at is is like is that is there a way we can use that if you come in and you're like I'm just not uh, a competitive person, we can use that as like a tool 
to have someone understand, like, to improve and maybe reach their their goal, whatever their own particular That's goal right. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is there a way to use that through psychology, basically? Sure. I, I think um, I think in order to get well, see, I think there's a I think there's a third option. You talk about people being competitive or non-competitive. I think there are some people who are well. First of all, is that something that you see? Let's say we're competitive with other people, like you or me. Like, let's go in the exercise class and try to kill everyone who's not even paying attention to me. Yeah. Is that do you think that's kind of like a, just a thing that's we're kind of in our system or not type thing? Or uh, I, yeah, I, I think it's it's in our system, and I think there's a lot of social programming around that. Okay. So I've worked with a lot of um, women. Uh, and they're sort of middle-aged women who are finding sports for the first time. And, mm-hmm. and I found that to be some of the most fascinating work I've done in that they've they've not, because of society's messages, have not felt comfortable being competitive before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of really grappling with, is it is it okay for me to go out there and, like, want to hurt other women, <laughs> you know, on the triathlon course? Like, I wanted yeah. to take her down. Like, is that okay? I'm yeah. Like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, um, You're like, as long as you don't run her off the road, we're all good. <laughs> we're all good. And sort of grappling with, is that an okay thing? Because when they grew up, those those kinds of feelings were not necessarily looked no, upon. No, it's not with. ladylike. It's not ladylike. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's one of the, yeah, it's one of the things that you, a lot of things teach you is not, even if you are inside, in some way, it's not ever really okay to let it out. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's there's some of that that I think is absolutely fascinating too. And so is it something you're born with or not born with? Yeah, I think I think some of it is is a little bit of of some temperament, but I think a lot of it is is just how you grew up and, and then some social programming around gender and that sort of stuff. Okay. But in terms of harnessing that. I think that the athletes who go the farthest are the ones who are trying to be better for mm-hmm. themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. I think those are the ones who really are in there and can stick with it for the longest are the ones who are like, I wanted to get as good at this as I possibly could for me. Right. Mm-hmm. So there may be some of that, like, I want to beat my friend who's very similar ability to me on the race course. But in reality, the ones that do the best are like, I just need to be better tomorrow than I was today. That's right. Thing. Yeah. And I, I think yeah. some of the things, the way, because I, I hear you when you say there are two different, that maybe being competitive with yourself and being competitive with other people are is a, is two different feelings. Because I feel like, in my mind, it's it's a different thing when I'm in the gym and, and maybe we're doing a race at the end of class and I'm trying to beat the person next to me and there's everyone yelling and we're all fun. You know, that is a different I have a different reaction to that than just a workout when I'm on the bike and I know what I did last week or I know what I did yesterday and I'm trying to push it. So I'm, I think we have a lot of people who sometimes fear the atmosphere of competition Uh in the moment. So it's not necessarily a long-term thing, but in that moment, they don't want to have people relying on them or maybe I'm not quite sure what it is, but is that something that I know I certainly feel more motivated by it. Do you think that somebody who comes in and says, I'm really freaked out about, you know, people around me relying on me or pushing me, that they could ever harness that even just in that hour to to get a little bit of a better workout and to feel a little bit more supported in that atmosphere? Or do you think it's kind of like, I don't feel good and I'm, that's just not my thing? And it just turns people off? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it could turn people off. I don't think so, though. And, and I think if it's done in a really positive and, mm-hmm. and group-affirming way, yeah, right? And which it sounds like that's what you're talking about in that 
if everybody gets a high five at the end of it, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, well, that's the, that's the idea. Is we, we we do see that quite a bit in the gym and, and stuff. Like you know, we'll do a fun really at the end, and we'll try to make even teams. And there's always going to be someone, let's just say, newer to exercise. Sure, they're not going to be as good. And sometimes I see they get the the high five they're getting is not from the person who's the same ability as them. They're getting the high five from the best guy on the team. That's right. Who knows the best person on the team? Who knows they stepped up. Mm-hmm. And really push themselves way outside their comfort zone, even though they're going half the speed. Yeah, and that's what I love to see is just everyone. They don't, you know, mm-hmm. care who did the best. They care that everyone was contributing and working as hard as they could. Right, and that's what we try and do. It's not because you're not, you don't come to no one really rise cares up who or won you don't or, or class at the end of the day. Yeah, you, right, you don't right. come to class to race. <laughs> We're not there to that's hand right. out medals for who's yeah. the fastest. That's not the point of it. And we we do these things that so we do m- the. By and large, most of our workouts are you're in the group atmosphere, but you're you're following your own numbers. It's yeah. individually based. You have a group trainer. Everyone's working around you. You've got that energy, but it's your own thing. Mm-hmm. Once a week, we do um, a series of workouts we call team days. And it's just it's very interesting because it seems to be very polarizing for people. Yeah. Some people love them. It's their favorite day of the week. They can't wait to get in there and just kick their own butt, you know, and other people are like, I would never want to do that. It freaks me out. Yeah. So I'm just curious, you know, I, I think it's so interesting to to try and understand what spread yeah. those people apart, you know? Well, yeah, and I would say to the people who don't want to do it, try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try it. Try it four times. Yeah, I, I love the aspect that you have too, whereas it's like, it's not just once. It's not just a day you work out. It's three weeks or whatever. Yeah, you got to hang be, in there a little bit. Right, and this yeah. might be four classes over the course of four weeks that you try. And That's then right. see at the end, do you hate it? Then okay. Then okay. Yeah. But you got to give it a shot. Right. Otherwise, you don't know what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree that. Yeah. But, but again, lots of feelings about that. Right. right? Recognize, wow, right. this is totally pushing me outside my comfort zone. I don't know if I'm going to like it. What do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So um, one last thing I want to touch on, um, which I, I kind of like, is that so we, we've talked about and we're just assuming here that everyone who listens to this is the same mentality as us and understands like the benefits of fitness, exercise and nutrition, everything else and leaving a healthy lifestyle. And so I know you've worked with a lot of people and some of the people you have probably don't work out at all or yeah. don't do that. And so I want to know, besides the obvious, hey, you lose a few pounds and you're going to right, live longer, right. what are the benefits that you see? Maybe someone listening who has doesn't exercise or hasn't been consistent and for you to say, hey, look, if you you know really find a program or find something that works for you, running, triathlon, some program, what are the, what are the other benefits that you know, we're not – aren't the obvious ones basically? Well, I mean from a mental health perspective, you just can't beat it. Right. I mean it's, it's the strongest antidepressant that we have. I mean, you just can't beat exercise. So you see that a lot in the clinical thing that people can get off Absolutely. antidepressants and a lot. Okay. And, and I mean, research, we... is, research is really clear. Research okay. is really clear. that, And it doesn't even take much, but just a good, solid, healthy lifestyle, especially right. including exercise, uh, like it just – it just reduces your risk of depression by like a million percent. I love mm-hmm. that. I mean, because we see that a lot and I hear these stories from people of like, yeah, I went off everything. But I mean, obviously we're – I'm not I'm not looking at a, you know, I'm not looking at a published study. So it's a little bit different. Yeah. When, but yeah. Yeah. It's really, really powerful. And I would just say it, it – um, you know, some of the, the most inspiring stories because when I work with athletes, one of the, the things I have them do is identify what their values are, right? Because – the the strongest antidote that we have to that storyteller, the feelings and the thoughts when they come up is understanding like, well, this is who I am. 
the, the reason that I'm going to go to the gym and do this is because I'm a person who makes commitments and I follow up through on those commitments, or I'm a person who's a hard worker and, and this is what I do, right? And so the antidote to your story is having a real clear system of values. And some of the most inspiring things I've heard from athletes are like things like, I want my children to be proud of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like right. I want my I want my spouse to look at me and and to to be impressed with me. I I want to feel uh, good in my own body, and I want to live a long life to be with my family and friends. Like, and that's that's so much more powerful than I want to be the fastest person on the competitive spin day. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that really kind of keeps I you coming that. back. That sticks with you. Is the is the system of values and the words that you like to use to describe yourself rather than these thoughts and feelings that are pretty transient feelings come mm-hmm. and go like your feeling your discomfort comes and goes but the sense of uh i'm a person who's a hard worker i'm a person who's dedicated i'm a person who's healthy i want my children to be proud of me that doesn't go away right and it also sounds like it's something that enables you to keep that same attitude and system throughout your life too because your That's body's right. going to change you That's know right. and if you're Maybe if your biggest motivator is I want to be the fastest person on this spin bike, maybe that'll work right now. But twenty years from now, it's not or thirty anymore. or forty, right? So, but your family hopefully will still That's be right. there and be inspiring for you. So, yes. And we, I mean, we we meet and have such a huge variety of people. I mean, first of all, in age, but in in body type and in challenge and all sorts of different yeah, things background history, in background yeah. it just kids, yeah no it, kids young old you know mm-hmm. everything in between have been working out forever have never worked out before yeah right. and i think that um that's a lot more powerful to because everybody's got you know even if you don't care what's going on on the numbers on this bike, right. you, you can look back at something that you do care about that matters to you a little bit more that's right yeah well um I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on. Do you have any other specific questions for Steve? I mean, um, oh God, I'm sure I have a million. I know I could sit here all day, I but know, I want to be I know. cognizant of his time here. Um, well, is there? I mean, is there anything else that if you're because this this podcast primarily exists for us to educate people, um, to motivate people, and hopefully to inspire people to be living a healthier, happier lifestyle, yeah. um, whether it's with our program or not, just in general. So, is there any anything else that you would like to say to? I mean, in whatever time you have or would like to give in short course to, to help them live that life. Well, I mean, it, it just sort of strikes me as you say, healthier and happier. I mean, those two things always go together, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the healthier and the always goes with the happier. And, you know, as someone who primarily serves as a psychotherapist for athletes and people involved in sports, like just the combination of those two things just can't be beat. And so, um, finding ways to be in your body in uh, in groups of people who are also healthy and working towards something, being outside, like the research is just really clear the benefits of all those things. And right. so, um, uh, finding a, a, a way to be your better self just just raises everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Cool. Well, I want to give you a second here to kind of plug yourself because I know we may have some listeners who say, you know what, like everything you're saying makes sense, but I may need to dive in a little more. And so, you know, you have a private practice, so I'd love to help you plug yourself so if you can obviously do that so if anyone wants to reach out to you i mean there might be we might have some members who sure would love to speak with you yeah my um see i can you can find my my uh, website is sparkcal s-p-a-r-c-c-a-l at uh, dot com or my um email address is the same s-p-a-r-c-c-a-l at gmail.com 
I also really love giving talks to groups of athletes. So there's there groups of athletes who want me to come out and yell at them about lizards and robots. I, I would love, yeah, love to do that. And his speakers are extremely engaged. I know when you spoke to the Tri Club and stuff, you just like, you know, a lot of times you get to ask a guest listener or a guest speaker and they come in and everyone's kind of like, oh, cool. And everyone was like at the edge of their seat. So it was, it's so it was much fascinating. Fun. It's a fun talk and, yeah. I, and I love doing it. So I give the, the talks about that and also healthy youth sports because mm-hmm. there's a lot of gnarly stuff in youth sports these days and i'm well it's gnarly being a youth that's a whole already yeah yeah i can see that so cool well thank you so much and obviously or if you got that or obviously you can always just shoot us a message if you're interested and we can hook you up with steve that's not a problem so um but yeah Yeah, i want to just want to thank you thank you so much for coming out taking the time and i i feel like i learned a crap ton and i'm excited to get back in the gym now so yeah that was, right it was awesome yeah and um once again get my I just lizard the boot give your lizard the boot space for the lizard the space for the lizard <laughs> that's right where i can yes that's yeah. right and i just want to mention one more time um so if you like this podcast and you've listened to our other ones you know please just kind of share with a friend um get our name out there a little bit if you think someone that you know could benefit out we'd yeah, love and if you to think, have i think we have this a, could speak to a lot of people yeah. this one so I mean, we have a great following so far, but we can always use more, and it helps our platform grow. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully, you know, like we said, we want to live you. Help, we want to live you. We want to help you live healthy, happy lives. So, yeah. happy new year! Happy new year! <laughs>